Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for Monday, February 5th, 2018. The Philadelphia Eagles just won the Super Bowl. The weird contest for the one game Super Bowl slate surprisingly actually went kind of decently because the people who Matt and I liked actually did well. Well, everybody kind of did well for the slate, but in particular, Chris Hogan did well. Corey Clement did well. Overall, that went well. Uh, I got defensive players right for the DraftKings mode, but I think that was just lucky. I don't really think there was any particular skill in picking the people. The, the reasons I ended up picking the people I liked, I, they worked out, but I don't think they worked out for the reasons I liked. Like, I used Eric Rowe because I thought he was going to be covering Nelson Aguilar, and I wanted to roster a lot of Nelson Aguilar. So Nelson Aguilar had a good game. Eric Rowe had a good game. Eric Rowe did not cover Nelson Aguilar, and he just played a lot more snaps because Malcolm Butler didn't play. Yeah, you. Uh, I think you got kind of lucky on defense because I rostered a lot of the same offensive players you did and didn't do particularly well because my defensive players were terrible. Uh, and I, I think I got screwed over more than most people by Malcolm Butler not playing, which was just really weird. Uh, I, I think it's safe to say, at least for me, that I have no interest in playing the showdown mode ever again because picking individual defensive players is just really annoying. But that's kind of all you can do for the Super Bowl. So. Yeah, next Super Bowl, I probably will do it again just because there's nothing else to play. All right, so for basketball, seven-game slate, a shit ton of injuries. We have questionable players in almost every single game. The first game here is the Portland Trailblazers at the Detroit Pistons. The only questionable player here is Shabazz Napier, but not really too significant of an injury. From the Blazers' side of this game... I, I kind of just think this is fair pricing all around. Uh, there is a little bit of upside on Jusuf Nurkic. I know I say that a lot, but that's only because that is the case. He has a lot of bad games. He has a lot of really good games. He's priced at 6300 There aren't really too many games where he scores right at 30 fantasy points. I think he's probably more often either like under 25 or over 40. So that is what we look for in GPPs. He has the upside because he's just kind of priced for his mean production. So 6300 for Nurkic, I think is okay for GPPs. From the Detroit side of the game, something that I said the other day when I was doing the podcast is that I think that the Pistons are going to be playing at a faster pace now that they have Blake Griffin there. Blake Griffin's playing a point guard role for them in kind of the same vein of what Ben Simmons does for the Sixers. He's pushing the pace a lot when he gets the ball. So I think that Griffin is a decent play at 8500 He's been priced closer to 9000 for most of the season. It is a tough matchup. Uh, let's see, Andre Drummond, what is his... Uh, yeah, so I think Drummond is fine to play at 9200 And I also like Stanley Johnson at 4800 especially if uh, Luke Kennard and Dwight Bucks can play. We saw a situation last game, and the Pistons are just really thin. They don't have a lot of guys on their team. When they traded for Blake Griffin, they basically parlayed pieces into one bigger piece. So they traded Tobias Harris, Boban, Avery Bradley into Blake Griffin. So there's there's more minutes for somebody like Stanley Johnson, who the last three games now played 40 minutes, 36 minutes, and 34 minutes, despite dealing with some foul trouble in those games because they just don't have other guys to play. So 4,800, I think, is too cheap for Stanley Johnson when he has to play that amount of minutes. Yeah, Johnson, I think, is the obvious value on Detroit, and especially if Kennard and Bucks are out, like you said. Uh, Reggie Bullock and Anthony Tolliver were, were both priced up 
a lot. Uh, I think it was just because of the game against the Cavs they had when Blake Griffin had already been traded to Detroit but wasn't with the team yet. So those guys played big minutes for at least that game, and then their prices went through the roof. But for Bullock and Tolliver, the prices come down. Uh, Stanley Johnson's house, too. He was up over 5000 last game. But all those guys in the 4000s I think, are usable. Probably prefer Stanley Johnson. I think Griffin and Drummond are fine plays. It's not a great matchup. Portland is on the second half of a road back-to-back. I don't think this is a particularly stackable game, but... I guess if if you're stacking it, it, it would make sense to use Griffin or Drummond or both. Um, one interesting player on the Portland side, and um, he might only be interesting if Napier is out again, Mo Harkless at 3,100 put up over 30 DraftKings points on Sunday, and he's still at 3,100. Uh, that was the same price he had on Sunday. Um, he came off the bench, and I guess he could come off the bench again and play around 30 minutes. So that would be a pretty intriguing punt play for someone who was really effective when he was on the court. Uh, it's just kind of hard to figure out what the Blazers are going to do with those minutes because Evan Turner was starting, and it's, it's kind of a weird thing that Harkless, who's more of a forward, would play more because Napier, who's a point guard, is out, but the Blazers just have less depth, and Harkless has to play more. Uh, another weird thing is that Mo Harkless was priced at 7800 on FanDuel for Sunday. They, I, they I, knew. They knew. They, I think they knew. Like he, he was right around hitting value on FanDuel. I mean, if you knew what kind of game he was going to have, and you had to price him fairly somewhere in the seven thousands would have made sense. That was just a very is that, strange is that the thing. Weirdest accurate price of the season. Yeah, it's it's uh, kind of like your uh, your Eric Rowe pick getting that right by accident. I think it's it's kind of a similar thing where they just had a glitch or just misread something and then it just worked out exactly as it kind of expect. Like they didn't expect it to, but it just worked. It was definitely a bizarre pricing, but whatever. It ended up. Uh... It ended up being the dead-on accurate price, probably for the wrong reasons. Though. So, would you use Harkless at that price, or yes, I, I, I uh, if, if Napier's out, then yes. Um, and then I guess I'm sort of concerned he might be really popular, but there are seven games, and I guess Harkless still probably doesn't have a ton of name recognition. He is coming off one big game, but it was on a short afternoon slate, so maybe the a lot of people also, missed it. Anybody who's priced at thirty one hundred that's going to play a decent amount of minutes, there's no real way that they kill a rock, kill a lineup. It's definitely a safe move for cash games. I think I'd be more inclined to play Harkless in cash than in GBP because I would be a little worried about ownership and maybe there's not a ton of upside because Harkless just doesn't have a high usage rate and it's kind of hard for him to have huge games. But yeah, thirty one hundred for someone who's going to play a lot of minutes, that's just it's it's a very secure pick at least. Yeah, and Harkless was good last year. I mean, he's been absolute dog shit this season. But if I remember correctly, he was starting for the Blazers last year and might have been priced up as high as like 6000 last year. So he was a good player, and he's just really done nothing at all for most of this year. Let's see, last season, he was... Yeah, he was priced in the mid-4000s most of the season, got as high as 5600 last year. Yeah, I just think that Napier has to be out to be able to play him, though, because Harkless yeah, has had very, yeah, Harkless has had very inconsistent minutes this year, so it's only worth the risk if Napier is not playing. All right, next game here is the Washington Wizards at the Indiana Pacers. Bradley Beal and Otto Porter have both been playing really well with John Wall out. The issue I have with them is their prices, and it's a road game, because we still have on Bradley Beal for the season 
He's scoring 41 fantasy points in home games, 36.5 fantasy points in road games. The big difference is a 48% shooter at home versus 45% on the road. He's probably going to be guarded by Oladipo, which is a bit of a tough matchup. So I am off the wizard side of this game. The Pacers side, we have Miles Turner listed as questionable. If the Pacers are playing, Miles Turner is listed as questionable. If he's not listed as questionable, it's because he's already been ruled out. So Miles Turner, I think, is in play at 5,800 if he starts because the Wizards have been really struggling against centers. If he's out, then I think Thaddeus Young and DeMontis Sabonis are both solid plays at 5,600 and 5,500 respectively. And Victor Oladipo, I think, is fine to roster at 8,400 as well. Yeah, that's a pretty low price for Oladipo. He was up over 9000 for a few games, and I guess he just wasn't that productive, so his price has dropped. Uh, yeah, I think Oladipo's fine, and then the rest of the Pacers side is pretty straightforward. Like you said, if Turner plays, he's the good play. If he's out, then it's Sabonis and Young. Uh, the Wizards are just really uninteresting overall because Beal is expensive, and he's worse on the road, but the rest of the Wizards are also expensive now. Otto Porter was someone we liked around 6000 I think he might have even been below 6000 for a game or two. Now he's at 7100 Sadoransky's at 5000 uh, Gortz hat's over 5000 but he's not someone that you can really trust for upside anyway. He doesn't play a ton of minutes. And then Markeith Morris at 6000 also is a pretty high price. The Wizards are just overvalued in their prices, so, I mean, even if there's the potential for one of those guys to do really well in an up-tempo game against the Pacers, it's just... It's, it's just too expensive, even if you consider the matchup to be slightly positive. And it would be a decent matchup, I think, if Turner doesn't play. But I think the cost is just too high that it really doesn't matter. All right. Next game here is the Orlando Magic at the Miami Heat. Really tough matchup for the Magic, but Aaron Gordon is once again questionable. If he's out, then I think the best play is Mario Hazonia if he starts. If Hazonia comes off the bench, I wouldn't be interested in him. If Spates starts... I think 4,400 in this matchup is a bit too much for me on Spates. Per minute, he's been a very good fantasy producer this year. But even in his starts this year, he's only averaging 19 minutes per game. So I don't really love the price on him at 4,400. Like I think he's a good value play when he starts and he's at the min price. But for 4,400, I think I'll pass on Spates. Uh, the Heat side of the game, uh, let's see. We have Hassan Whiteside is questionable again with the illness. He missed last game and then only was able to play half of two games ago. If Whiteside is out, Bam Adebayo has been priced up to 4600 I still think that Adebayo would make for a good play here. He was really chalky for the Heat's last game, and he got into a little bit of foul trouble. He was having some issues guarding Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond, and then also the Heat just got behind in that game, and they had to go with smaller lineups. So they played a lot of Kelly Olenek and uh, James Johnson together just to get extra scoring on the floor. Uh, I think that Adebayo would be a really good value play here if Whiteside's out and he could go a little overlooked. And then there would also just be bigger roles for Kelly Olenek and James Johnson would also just be really good plays. Uh, Drogic also in play at 7,300. Yeah, Justice Winslow is at the same 3700 price that he was the other night when he was chalky and didn't do well either. Um, I think Whiteside might need to be out for Winslow to be that good of a play because it's just one less guy Miami has and just a few more potential minutes for everybody. So I agree with you on Adebayo. I think a lot of Heat guys could be intriguing in a good matchup at home against the Magic if Whiteside doesn't play. But 
I'm not really interested in the Heat at all if Whiteside does play. Maybe maybe Winslow anyway. Uh, Wayne Ellington's also seen a pretty substantial price drop. Um, I guess the issue with him is that Tyler Johnson's back, so it's just less usage for him. A few less minutes, because he was playing about 35 to 40 minutes for a few games, and now he's kind of seen his minutes fall back to around 30 a game. But and his, Winslow is out for a while. Yeah, Winslow is out too. So, I mean, it's a worse situation for Ellington now, but his price has also fallen. So I think he's okay to consider. Um, one other thing on the Orlando side, Bismack Biombo was a massive fantasy producer just a week or two ago. And I think it there's sort of an effect that could help him if Spates continues to start. Because if Spates is starting, then Orlando doesn't really have anyone to come off the bench uh, as a big man, aside from Kem Birch. So I think there's more minute security for Biombo if Spates is the starter. Because when Hazonia starts a power forward, then you have Spates and Birch on the bench to take minutes away from Biombo. Um, there's not a high minutes floor for him because he's been getting in foul trouble a decent amount. It also seems like Orlando just varies their lineups a lot. They've gotten behind in some games where if there's a blowout, Biombo's not going to play in the fourth quarter. If they're down, they're going to go with their younger guys. But I think there is a lot of upside for Biombo, and especially if Whiteside's out, because then it would become a little bit easier of a matchup. So I think that we shouldn't forget how effective he was uh, just a week or two ago. And if he gets 30-plus minutes at 4,900, that could be that could be a huge upside play. So I'll say definitely GPP only for Biombo, and I don't think I'll have a ton of him. But if I'm using some heat guys and I want a little bit of exposure to Orlando, I think he's someone to throw in. Yeah, I don't really know how... Like, I also think if Whiteside plays, that's a really tough individual matchup for Biombo for his particular style, because a lot of stuff Biombo does, Whiteside does just better in every category, and then also Whiteside just bigger, more athletic. Um, so I think I would be more inclined to use Biombo in a GPP if Whiteside was out. Yeah, I think... The contingency for me on Biombo is GPP only, and also only if Spates is starting. So that would be only if Aaron Gordon is out, and then also if Whiteside is out. I think if all of that comes together, then I would be I'd be pretty comfortable saying that Biombo is a strong play. But if that doesn't come together, then I I don't think I'd use him at all. All right, next game here, more injuries. The Utah Jazz, New Orleans Pelicans. We have Donovan Mitchell is questionable to play, also with the flu. He missed last game. Alec Burks started in his place. Uh, what is Burks priced at now? Uh, if Burks is going to start again, I think that he's a pretty good play at 4,100. Also, maybe possible that Rodney Hood starts, uh, although Hood only played 16 minutes last game. It was his first game back from, uh, was it like knee soreness or whatever? He missed a really long time. So they might want to be cautious of his minutes. Alec Burks at 4,100 would probably be the best play here in terms of just value if Mitchell's out. The other guy also is Ricky Rubio. Has been playing really well recently. And he scored 34 real-life points in San Antonio against the Spurs on the tail end of a back-to-back without Donovan Mitchell in the lineup. Rubio's recent production has been ridiculous. 33, 34, 49, 40, 51 fantasy points. This is a plus matchup for him. He's going to be matched up against Rajon Rondo. So I think 6,500, he's a strong play. Only if Mitchell's out, though, and I probably won't roster him if Mitchell plays. From the Pelicans' side of the game, last game was the first time that the Rajon Rondo minutes finally came to fruition. He played—oh, no, that was two games ago. Never mind. So two games ago, he played 
34 minutes, scored over 40 fantasy points, and last game he went all the way back down to 21 minutes. This is a really tough matchup for Rondo. You could still use him in a GPP because the there's two potential outcomes for Rondo. He's either going to play 20 minutes and score like 15 to 20 fantasy points, or he's going to play like 35 minutes and he's going to score 30-plus fantasy points. There isn't really an in-between game for Rondo. That's what he does almost every game, and there's no way of really knowing which one it is that shows up. If he plays poorly, he comes out of the game and doesn't play much the rest of the game. If he starts the game and plays decently right off the bat, he's a starting point guard, and then Gentry rides him for more minutes. Uh, this is a really tough matchup, though, so definitely GPP only. Uh, and then I think that still without DeMarcus Cousins, Anthony Davis is still rosterable in this matchup. And I think Nikola Miritich is also somewhat interesting. His first game with the Pelicans, he played 35 minutes, scored 48 fantasy points. So even in a tough matchup, I just think he's going to be so much more expensive than 5800 in the next couple weeks as long as he has this role on the Pelicans. So I sort of agree with you on Rondo, but I think I'd only roster him if I'm either mini-stacking or going with a full stack of this game. Because if Rondo is going to play well, it's usually because he's getting a lot of assists, and that would correlate pretty strongly with, well, mostly Anthony Davis, but the rest of the Pelicans guys. It's kind of hard to see a circumstance where Rondo plays really well, but no one else on New Orleans plays well. Um, And if they aren't playing well overall, he just usually will be on the bench. So he's usually I, the reason they're not playing well. If they're not playing well. Yeah. Uh, so if I'm going to roster Rondo, I'm probably going to roster him with Davis or with Miritich or both. Uh, Drew Holiday and Rondo, I don't think. I mean, it's hard to figure out the Pelicans now with the changed structure of the team, but I don't think it makes sense to roster roster Rondo and uh, Holiday together. And. Holiday might have some value at 7,200, but again, Miritich being there could take away some usage. So I don't think I want to take much of a chance on any of these guys. I think I could see myself just fading Utah entirely, uh, fading New Orleans entirely against Utah. But if I'm going to roster one of them, I think it'll just be a lineup where I do a full game stack because there is some potential value on the Jazz side if Mitchell's out. Uh, It's a good matchup, obviously, against the Pelicans, who now are playing smaller lineups without Cousins and already were bad at defense and play an up-tempo game. Um, Rubio at 6,500, I think is way too expensive if Mitchell's in, but like you said, if Mitchell's out, that's more potential minutes, uh, more ball handling responsibility for Rubio. So even if you don't see it in usage, you'll see it in assist numbers. And I think we are kind of seeing it in usage anyway, 34 actual points for Ricky Rubio in a game this year just seems kind of insane compared to the games, especially in San Antonio, right? And compared to the games that we saw him have earlier in the year where he would just sometimes play 12 minutes and be terrible and not hit a shot. And now he's actually playing well. Uh, So it's a little, it's a little strange to see this resurgence, but even with how well he's playing, I have no interest in him if Mitchell's playing. And if Mitchell's out, it's, it would also make sense to have someone to roster on Utah with Rubio. Uh, I don't think Rodney Hood is worth taking a chance on because of the minutes restriction, like you said, maybe Rudy Gobert, maybe Derek Favors. I think Gobert would be the guy. Um, he's just not that expensive at 7,400. And it seems like there's been some correlation between Rubio and Gobert. So I think a game stack would look something like Rubio, Gobert, Rondo, Davis, and Miritich. And maybe I'll have one lineup like that. And then elsewhere, I just I won't really be using much of these guys. Okay, the next game in Denver, Charlotte Hornets at the Denver Nuggets. Denver Nuggets games, almost all of them have been really good fantasy games over the last month. I 
can't remember the last time there was a bad Nuggets game to stack. Does does that seem correct to you? I feel like I've rostered Jokic every day for the last. I mean, maybe it's more than a month. It's been most games this season, I think. And for me, for me, it's been two years. Yeah. That I've rostered Jokic for almost every single one of his games. He's really been arguably the most valuable fantasy player over the last couple of years, just in terms of he is so much upside. Well, especially with Plumlee out now, it just changes the whole dynamic for the Nuggets with Jokic, like you've talked about many times, but also the minutes for everyone else. They're better without Plumlee. Uh, just for whatever reason, Jokic has been underpriced so much. Well, last year a lot of it was because he was just kind of coming into the star-type role for them, and he was at, I want to say, below 5000 price tag at a point in time, and he was just playing better, and gradually the price was going up, but it just never caught up to what his production was until finally by the end of the season he was priced around 11000 But that was based on him starting below 5000 going up by an increment of like a couple hundred dollars each game until he finally reached that point. And it's not something that ridiculous this year, but it's still a thing where he's scoring 40-plus fantasy points really regularly right now, and it's still only priced in the 8000 range. And every once in a while, we still see him have those triple-double games where he's scoring over 70 fantasy points, which there just aren't that many guys who are priced in the 8,000 range that have that kind of upside. So yeah. Jokic has been my favorite play on most slates he's been on over the last few weeks. I don't see that changing. From the Charlotte side of the game, I think Kemba Walker and Dwight Howard are both fine plays individually. Uh, not anything like spectacular for the price, but I think they're usable in game stacks. From the Nuggets side of the game, Jokic is a strong play. I think Will Barton's a good play. Murray's a good play, and Gary Harris is a good play. I kind of think that this might be the spot to look elsewhere. Jokic is too cheap, but it's a tough matchup against Howard. Um, and then the other Nuggets players have been priced up just a little bit. Will Barton's at 6200 He was in the 5000s for a while. Same with Gary Harris and Jamal Murray. They're at 63 and 6400 I think it's kind of just fair pricing on those guys outside of Jokic. So, Will Barnes started 18 games this year. He's averaging 35 fantasy points as a starter. So I still think there's a little bit of value on him at 6,200. Jamal Murray, uh, it's hard to really look at his full season numbers because he's definitely a much better player now than he was at the beginning of the season. So if we're going to look at the last, say, month or so, for Jamal Murray, or even the stretch since he came back from injury. He scored under 30 fantasy points twice, but he's been over forty fantasy point, over 45 fantasy points three times. And then Gary Harris overall for the year is, he's their highest correlation player. So he correlates positively with every single player in the starting lineup, and generally if he plays well, everybody else plays well. So I, I like all four of those guys for the Nuggets. Well, I would definitely play Gary Harris with any other Nuggets guy. I have no problem with that. Uh, maybe they are a little bit underpriced, but it's not a great matchup. And for in terms of game stacking, I think the effect that we saw with Dwight Howard uh, that caused us to start using more of him, it might start being reversed a little bit because Cody Zeller's back. So the reason that Dwight Howard became such a strong fantasy play was because of the minutes boost, uh, a much higher minutes floor, and even higher, a higher minutes ceiling. Uh, the, the Hornets just didn't have any front court depth, but now they have Zeller back, Frank Kaminsky's there. Dwight Howard may start to play a little bit less minutes, so I'm, I don't know if I want to continue to pay up for him 
Um, just pulling up the price again on him at 8,600. It has dropped a little bit. How many? Well, let's see. How many minutes did he play last game? Because we do. Have Zeller's Zeller. been back for two games, right? And he's played about 15 minutes in each. So, Dwight still played 38 minutes last game. How many did Zeller play? Zeller played 14. I think Zeller is on that minutes restriction. So as that starts to get lifted, then I think we'll see Dwight play a little bit less because he the two games before that he played. 31 minutes in each of those two. I think that that could be more of a regular occurrence for Dwight. And he's also pretty foul-prone. Guarding Jokic is a tough thing. So I I see a lot of downside for Howard. And then the Denver side, I I think that the ownership can kind of be starting to get out of hand. I mean, Jokic has been very chalky for about three games in a row. Ever since he uh, destroyed the Spurs on the road, which was like four games ago, he's been really high-owned, close to the highest-owned player on every slate. I'm not saying that I wouldn't use him, but I think it's worth considering a fade here just because it is kind of a tough matchup on both sides. And the prices, it's it's not as much of a bargain as we've seen in recent games, even if it is a slight bargain. I still think it is because this was literally the same exact team we saw the Nuggets running last year, and he was priced up to 11000 Well, so- if I have to roster anyone, I think I'm okay with rostering Jokic by himself. I just don't feel that confident in a game stack. So maybe a mini stack of Jokic with Gary Harris. And then I, I think I like Kemba Walker a lot more than I like Dwight Howard. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I would only use Kemba or Dwight in a game stack. And outside of that, I'm, I'm not going to use them beyond this game. Uh, I do think the next game on the slate is possibly the best game to stack. It's The issue is we don't know who's going to be playing for the Kings. It's the Bulls at the Kings... The Kings did have this plan where they said they were going to be resting two to three veterans every game for the rest of the year. We've gone three games in a row where they've played the entire roster. No veterans have rested. So I don't know what the deal is. Are they Was was it because like they had a game against the Warriors and they were like, hey, this is a game we want to play everybody for? Or is it just because Dave Yeager was sick for a couple games and then they had an assistant coach take over and he was didn't care as much about that plan and said, no, we're going to play our veteran guys. So I, I still think that there could potentially be value in a guy like Zach Randolph. We know he's starting playing decent minutes. But I just feel so uncomfortable playing the Kings' older guys in any game. I think that the safe way to go about rostering them is still just going to be rostering De'Aaron Fox or Willie Cauley-Stein. I think those are the safe guys for minutes. Maybe Bogdanovich for a GPP. From the Bulls' side of the game, Laurie Markkinen's out again and... There's just a decent amount of value here, especially because they don't have uh, Miritich anymore. Obviously, he got traded over to the Pelicans. So from the Bulls' side of the game, Zach Levine doesn't really have a minutes restriction anymore. He played 31 minutes last game. I think we're going to keep seeing that go up. He's at 6,600. I think he's just going to have a massive amount of usage and is going to have a huge role in this offense. So I think he's going to be a lot more expensive than 6,600 without a minutes restriction. So I like him a lot as a play. I think Justin Holiday is a good play, 5,200. He had to play 38 minutes last game with injuries. And then somebody who's just GPP, I put way too many Ps in there. <laughs> just GPP is Bobby Portis at 6,200. His minutes could be 20. His minutes could be 35. If he gets high-end minutes, he's a very good permanent fantasy producer. He's just not a particularly good real-life uh, real life basketball player as opposed to being a very good fantasy producer. So Bobby Portis is a good GPP play at 6,200 in case he gets the big minutes. 
I'm definitely much more comfortable taking a shot with Bobby Portis than I am with Zach Randolph in this game at the same position for basically the same price. Randolph could rest. He also has had plenty of games where he just plays the first half and then doesn't play down the stretch for whatever reason, either because he's playing poorly or it's just a game where the Kings are going with younger guys in the fourth quarter. There's a lot of downside for Randolph, and I guess Portis has some downside too, but I think there's more upside for Portis, and I think the downside is just lower. There's no situation where Portis just plays zero minutes, probably. Uh, Randolph definitely could play zero minutes if they decide to rest him, and this game is pretty late in the night, so we won't know any of this before lock. It's a 10 o'clock game on the East Coast. We also don't know the Kings generally before lock anyway. The, the way the rest situation works is the game starts, the pl- we find out the starters five minutes before the game, and then some of the veterans check in at the, fir- at the uh, first TV timeout, some of them don't, and then if they don't check in by the start of the second quarter, that's who's resting. Yeah, it's a really frustrating situation, but we do usually know that De'Aaron Fox and Willie Cauley-Stein are going to play minutes, and I don't know if I like them that much individually. They've both been priced up a bit. Darren Fox was around 5000 for a while. Cauley Stein was around 6000 for a while. Uh, now Darren Fox is at 6000 Cauley Stein's at 6900 But if it's a game stack, I definitely think those are the top two Kings guys to roster, even if you don't like them that much as plugs in other lineups. Um, and then Zach Levine, like you said, is going to have a ton of usage now with Chris Dunn out, and the minutes restriction seems to be lifted. Levine's my favorite player from this game, um, and then for game stacks, I think I would definitely include Justin Holiday, definitely Fox and Cauley-Stein, maybe Bogdanovich, and then some Bobby Portis, but I really don't want to reach on Zach Randolph. I don't think I'll have any Randolph for this slate. No Costa Kufis. I think there's too much risk. Uh, Jerry and Grant, I think, is too expensive, so it's a, it's a solid game to stack, but I think that we could have a pretty narrow core for this game. All right, final game of the slate, Dallas Mavericks at the Los Angeles Clippers. For the Mavericks, Harrison Barnes is questionable with an ankle injury. If he can't play, I'm I'm not exactly sure what they're going to do with their starting lineup because Barnes plays a lot of minutes for them every game and has not been questionable for any games this year. He hasn't missed any games. So maybe they – I'm guessing they would probably go to a starting lineup of Dennis Smith Jr., Yogi Ferrell – uh, Wes Matthews, Dwight Powell, and Dirk Nowitzki. Powell's been starting last couple games and has played a lot of minutes. The Mavericks have jerked around their lineups a lot, switched around starters. Powell at 3,700, I think, is a really strong value play if he's starting. And I still think that he's a marginal play, even if he comes off the bench. So I'm comfortable with rostering him in GPPs, even if we don't know their starting lineup prior to lock. Um, if Barnes is out, I think that Probably Berea and Farrell both become stronger plays. Wes Matthews probably plays more small forward, more small forward in that situation. But he's playing so many minutes anyway. I don't really think we could expect too much more for him in terms of playing time. Then from the Clippers side of the game, it's kind of a wait and see approach for me in terms of how Avery Bradley and Tobias Harris get mixed in with this team. The one guy who I do think is a really good play, at least for the near future, at this price is going to be DeAndre Jordan. So I'm good with rostering Jordan. Everybody else, I'm just going to kind of see how the lineups and usage shakes out for the Clippers. Yeah, I'm with you on DeAndre Jordan. He's by far my favorite player from this game. He's just too cheap for now with Blake Griffin gone. The rebounding upside just goes through the roof. We've mentioned 
the stat or the theme of stats a bunch of times on DeAndre Jordan, how many more rebounds he gets per game when Blake Griffin's not there. Uh, so it's 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 going to be hard not to roster Jordan basically every night until his price goes up a lot. He's at 7600 now. I think he could even be a $9,000 player within a few weeks uh, now that he has basically no competition for rebounds anymore. <clears throat> um, from the other side of this game, though, for Dallas, we probably won't know the status of Harrison Barnes before lock. So it, it makes it a lot of a guessing game here. And... I think Dwight Powell and then also J.J. Barea are still worth taking chances on. Because worst case for Powell at 3,700, I think would be something like 20 to 24 minutes. And then maybe he scores, I don't know, 12 fantasy points worst case. But even in those minutes, he could get 15 to 20 or maybe 20 plus. And then he has upside of playing 30 plus minutes and being a really good value at 3,700. So I'd play Powell either way. And I'd play Barea either way too. 4,600 is just too cheap for Barea. And... I think he maybe could start if Barnes is out. It's probably more likely they go with what you were saying, where Farrell is the starting shooting guard, but then Brea ends up playing more bench minutes. I think that would have to be the outcome. Um, so if we get 30 minutes of J.J. Brea at 4,600, he's a really good permanent producer. There could be a lot of value in that price tag, but I think he's safe anyway. Um, he's going to play 20-plus minutes no matter what, unless for some reason he gets ruled out late like he was uh, last week. But I, I think Bray is safe. I think he has a lot of upside if Barnes is out. So him and Powell are the only guys that I think I would confidently roster if we don't know this injury status going into the game. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think we should have a Barnes update, I would guess, after shoot-around tomorrow. The Mavericks will probably have a shoot-around around 2 or 3 East Coast time. And we should have more information after that. Uh, but other than that, that is well, it for this. I'll, I'll mention uh, one more player, actually, because we talked about him a little before we started when we were looking through Barnes's usage or the Mavericks' usage when he's off the court. Dirk seems to be the only guy who really benefits. Um, 4,900, there could be some upside for Dirk. I think he would probably need to play 28-plus minutes or so for us to really like him as a value, but... It's not a particularly hard matchup if he's playing more power forward and DeAndre Jordan is guarding like Maxi Kleber or Salah Mejri or whoever is the, the center for the Mavs. Um, it could be a good spot for Dirk if Barnes is out. So we know that Barnes isn't playing. I think I would roster some Dirk. Um, I think I would consider... I'll think about considering Dirk. I don't <laughs> want to commit to rostering him right now. It's a big commitment. Yeah. All right, so that will finish today's podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at GRMBergDFS. Matt's Twitter handle is at PreachingSense, and we'll be back with another basketball podcast tomorrow.